Hi, and welcome into Balls in the Air. I'm your friendly most of the time host, Charlie Reimer. Got a really special show for you uh, this week. I'm thrilled to be joined by Golf Coaches Association of America Hall of Fame member, Huggy Blackman. Huggy was my coach at Georgia Tech. He finished up his career at South Carolina. Actually, he was at South Carolina a lot longer than he was at Georgia Tech. we got a lot of great subjects we're going to get into. Uh, his background, uh, some of the players he's coached, including uh, world number one, David Duvall, a lot of the work he did at South Carolina for both the men's and the women's programs. And, uh, Coach, welcome to the golf capital of the world, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It's always great to be with you, Chuck. It's always <laughs> he just say that because he made me buy him lunch today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so let, let's start right there. <clears throat> um, for our listeners, you, you can't hear it. For the folks watching the video, you can see it. When, when, when I started as a freshman for him, he actually had hair. And, and when I finished five years later, as a Georgia Tech graduate, I might add, that hair looked a lot like that. I mean, you either grew a lot more forehead while I was there or lost hair. And I know I had to contribute a good bit to that. Coach, how hard was I to coach? I see he, said he was twitching his eye when I asked him that question. <laughs> you know, I think probably um, we got to go back to, to how hard you were to recruit. Uh, uh-huh. you know, Chuck, Chuck uh, had Well, he, some, he gave me the nicest car, so that's why I knew yeah, that. Yeah, George yeah, Tech, yeah, yeah. That's that Mercure you had. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, European. Chuck, Chuck, you know, the funny thing was I, I kind of picked up on Chuck um, right after you won the U.S. Junior. Everybody starts talking about Charlie Romer, and you didn't play a lot you, uh, nationally. You played mostly in the Carolinas, and uh, even though I'm from South Carolina, I, I was at Georgia Tech. I, and, I played and played enough to be number one in the country, so I yeah yeah, yeah well, so I did play enough nationally. Played one big one, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. But, so anyway, I start checking, and everybody's like, "Are you recruiting Charlie Romer?" And I said, "Charlie Romer, who's Charlie Romer?" And start learning a little bit more about you, and the fact that you were over out of Charlotte and Fort Mill, South Carolina, and one interesting thing I found out very quickly was that uh, you had a great uncle, Skeet mm-hmm. um, Reimer, who had kind of started Magic Chef and Maytag, and Skeet had developed quite a uh, uh, portfolio. <laughs> mm. And uh, so anyway, so I started checking about it, and, and Uncle Skeet went to Georgia Tech. And so I start checking a little further and find out that uh, that, that Coach Haddock had offered you the Arnold Palmer Scholarship at Wake Forest, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not sure I can top that, but you know what? Bobby Jones went to school here, and maybe we could do a Bobby Jones scholarship, and maybe we could offer that to Charlie and maybe have a shot at him. And so I approached Uncle Skeet and uh, called him and said, we'd love to get Charlie here, and uh, I want to start these scholarships. I want to endow these scholarships. First will be Bobby Jones, and I'd like you to do that in the tune of $100,000, and Skeet told me to go down. He said, "I just gave the alumni association two hundred fifty thousand. Get them to give you a hundred. Well, I called Skeet about a week later after visiting the alumni association, and they, after they laughed me out of the building, that they were going to give up a hundred thousand that they'd already gotten. That was their so, money, right? Yeah, yeah, it was their money. I didn't understand that, but <laughs> I did when I left there. But anyway, I called Skeet and said, Skeet, hey, the problem is that Charlie, uh, the, the alumni association, will not give me a hundred thousand. And he said, well." I'd love to do this, but I can't do it a hundred. And and I said, well, we'd love to have you do it, but if you can't, I understand it. And and so I think he thought about it for three or four days, and uh, and came back and decided to do it. So we did the Arnold the uh, Bobby Jones scholarship. We invited Jack Nicholas, who Skeet was very close with, and I was recruiting 
one of the Nicholases at the time, brought him in for a black tie dinner and did it, and then the rest is history. So <laughs> we got you to Georgia Tech. That it, was the that, first. It was so much option. fun going through that process. And I, and I actually didn't know my great uncle other than seeing him every year at, at, uh, <clears throat> at the family house and at Christmas. And um, one of the coolest things that happened along with going to Georgia Tech, which I'm uh, thrilled that you gave me the opportunity to go there and one of the best decisions I made in my life. But getting to know my great uncle was really, really special for me. And uh, we, we spent a lot of time together over the years. And when, when he was writing some of those checks for that golf scholarship, I think later he came back and even wrote a little bit more for it. So it, it became fully endowed in perpetuity. He put down that I actually gave the money. And to this day, the school thinks that I gave the money <laughs> for that scholarship. So when I go to a football game up there, I get pretty good seats, which is pretty nice. Oh, you should. But uh, he was, uh, he boy, he loved Georgia Tech. And it was it was so neat because I'm trying to remember his graduation year. Um, it, obviously, it had been before, um, I think it was even before World War II. It was around 1940. And, and um, he, uh, um, all those years, supported the school and um, did a lot of it anonymously, <clears throat> and and not a lot of people know how much he loved Georgia Tech. But all those years, nobody else went to Georgia Tech in the family. And and in that one year, I came in as a freshman, and I had a cousin of mine that went to bowls down in Jacksonville. Uh, he came in to play football, and and so Skeet went all those years not having anybody come to the family. And that same year, he had two two of us from the same family show up and go to Georgia Tech, and uh, he would send me his tickets um, for, for the games, and obviously those were pretty good tickets, and, and uh, we, we, we had a good time, but he would call me after every game, I'd have to give him the, the update, and uh, he, he loved following, following golf as well, but, but that, that was probably the coolest thing about coming to Georgia Tech, in all honesty, was, was getting this wonderful relationship with, with my great uncle for, for years and years and years. So what, what was... And, and I appreciate you being nice to me, uh, <laughs> telling that good story. But let, you got to tell some good stories about Georgia Tech. I, I can remember when we'd go up to Athens and play in the Southern Intercollegiate, you know, and we'd get in, we'd get into all kinds of trouble. We went up to Athens, and those turds at Georgia, especially on the golf team, remember they would let they would let the tires, the air out of the tires in our Georgia Tech van. You remember that all that happening? And and yeah. uh, that was always a fun place to go play. I might have mooned a few of them. I well, love mooning, especially if I could moon the Georgia team from the Georgia Tech van if we were going to a tournament somewhere together. I mooned every good chance I got. Well, yeah, I think first of all, too, we need to put in perspective where Georgia Tech was at that time. I mean, when we we started uh, reorganizing the program in the spring of 1983, and you soon followed that a few years later, but. People don't understand. They think now that Georgia Tech was always this real powerhouse. And, you know, it took people like you and, and uh, uh, you know, Bill McDonald from Dalton uh, that came in as the number one player in the nation. He was the one that put us on the map quickly. But we were terrible. I mean, we started. We, we, we'd finished dead last in the conference every year. Um, they'd finished dead last in every tournament the, the previous fall. Uh, but – but we were able to bring in people and attract people like yourself that, that were high quality players. And not only that, you don't you're not a dummy when you come to Georgia Tech. You've got to you've got to have some some brain. And uh, that was the beauty of, of recruiting players uh, that, that that had both that, that were intelligent that that came there for the right reasons. And 
Yeah, Athens was always funny, and and I think it's really kind of indicative of of your golf personality that <laughs> you know you loved the old Donald Ross Golf Course, loved it, Atlantic at Athens Country Club, and and we went in there, and Georgia was the dominant program, and they had dominated college golf for a long time, and we went in and. All of a sudden, we walk in and, and we start winning this golf tournament by you know 20, 25, 30 shots, breaking all the records. In fact, we won it so many times they quit doing it. Um. What what what's really funny is um, after finishing up school, I ended up living in Athens for about ten or twelve years. I was a member there at Athens Country Club, and that old tournament, the Southern Intercollegiate, had been around a long time. And both my junior year and my senior year. Georgia Tech won the tournament, and I won the tournament. Well, they canceled it the following year. And so to this day in the trophy case up there, and I, I hadn't been there in a while, but when I was a member, they, they still had the old Southern Intercollegiate trophy. And and uh, I'm trying to think that would have been like 18, uh, 1989, 1990. So it's got my name on it for 1989, but I won it in 92, and they didn't bother engraving it on there in 1990. But it was like the – that we, we, we had a chance to play golf all over the world. You took us to Japan a couple of times and West Coast tournaments and all of that, and, and we, we won our fair share. But winning that Southern Intercollegiate, for me, was the most fun ever. And they didn't, they didn't have the decency to put my name on the damn trophy the last year I won. That's a Georgia guy for you, though. You know? Well, and, and what we need to talk a little bit about is the fact that when, when Charlie Rama, when Charlie Rama wanted to play a golf course, he could really play it. And, and Athens Country Club was your golf course, and you won it two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out the tournament that, that I had helped start on Hilton Head, the Golf World Tournament oh, of Dunes Collegiate. Leave me out of this uh, one. Well, was, was the top tournament in the country, and so I'm kind of proud of it. And I'm thinking, hey, we now need to go down and wax, because we had all the great players there. You know, the Mickelsons, everybody came through that tournament. Well, Chuck kept telling me that uh, he did not like he did not like the greens at the Arthur Hills Golf Course. That's a kind way of I don't like the greens there, Coach. You may as well not take me. So I, I take a player that wins one week and goes to the to the next tournament, which is the biggie, <laughs> and finishes dead last. And uh, what he doesn't understand, he just last. can't lose. Well, he did. was pretty close to it if it wasn't. <laughs> but one thing reminds me too, Chuck, is, is, is your – Kind of your mo was your ability to moon people, exactly. And 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 I'll never forget. I mean, this guy was so talented at move, mooning that I'm like, it's amazing. I, I still it, am pretty good at it too. So we're we finished the tournament and and we go to uh, I think it's Wendy's right on the main drag of, of Athens. And so we're sitting there eating, and all of a sudden I miss Charlie, and I'm like, where is Chuck? And I think Duvall was sitting across from me and he goes coach look to your right well to to my right happens to be this big huge picture window right on the main drag and as I turn to my right I see this big moon I mean this this thing is it looked like the blood moon it was so big and 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 I'm thinking and I get him inside I take him in the bathroom I said son do you realize where we are if they caught you a Georgia Tech student in your uniform Indecent exposure, you would never get out of jail. Uh-huh. But, you know, and that, that carried But I on. didn't get caught. Hey, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. T- you said Georgia Tech people are smart. That means not getting caught, right? Yeah. 
And the, and the, the most talented thing I, I ever saw you do had nothing to do with golf, but I'll never forget that. Does this involve mooning? Yeah. yeah. David oh, Duvall and I. I know where you're going. David Duvall and I drive to from Atlanta to Chattanooga to, to meet you at the Honors Club, and you were driving a small Mercury. Mercury. You could barely get your body in it, and we're coming back down I-75, and we're probably doing 70, 75 miles an hour, and Duvall looks at me and goes, Coach. We, we were going to play Augusta National, I think, weren't we? No. We just finished playing okay. Honors Club because we were coming down 75. Okay, yeah. So we're driving down the road. You're with Duvall. Yeah, Duvall said, look to your left. And I look, and you have put this Mercury Mercure in, in cruise control uh-huh. and somehow had gotten into the passenger side and had his butt pressed against the passenger window driving. Was it seven, both cheeks? Was it both cheeks? Yeah, you had it. You, you covered the window, uh-huh. I can tell you that. But, yeah, and that, uh, that had stick shift in it, too. That yeah, wasn't even yeah, manual. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but, you know, your 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 mother and, and uh, stepdad were also good at doing that. Well, it had to come from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, it, I just it, can't I'm, invent all leaving, this stuff myself. We're Golf World Palmetto Dunes, and, and what I didn't realize <laughs> is that, you know, they I'd never seen people drink so much Coke. <laughs> and and what, what I found out, Coach says my family, it might not have been Coke they were drinking. No, it wasn't because they had this this cover, this plastic cover. It was over a beer. And as we're leaving the team van and we're leaving Palmetto Dunes, uh, your your mom and your stepdad moved us. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really getting to be a family thing. Mama did it too. Coach, it wasn't wasn't even Coke. They had these stickers, these magnetic stickers that you'd wrap around. They'd drink uh, Miller Lite. And you'd wrap it around it, and and it was a Dr. Pepper sticker, but <laughs> and it looked just like the same logo and everything, but it didn't say Dr. Pepper. It said Dr. Pecker, if you look closely. <laughs> and that's my family coming out to watch me play golf. Yeah, it was drinking Dr. Pecker. Yeah. 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 So uh, people wonder why I'm crazy. It was my, uh, my upbringing. But um, you coached us up. You put up with all of that, and you know. And looking back on uh, play, uh, playing at Georgia Tech on, on my team, and and I don't think anybody's ever come close to this. Um, you look, you look at me, Trip Eisenhower, who who made it to PGA Tour and and turned himself into a good player. I think maybe three wins on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour. David Duvall, obviously, thirteen wins, a British Open, getting to be number one in the world. Three of us were working in golf television at the same time for the same network at uh, at Golf Channel, and um, you know there's not forty golf analysts in the world, and and to have three of us, your former players from the same school, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought you were teaching us to play golf. I mean, clearly you were teaching us to BS is what it came down to, you know, from my standpoint. But and I don't know how you did because I made a D in public speaking. David, David, he when he does TV, I didn't even know he could talk. He was my teammate for all those years. We played a lot of golf together. I didn't know he could talk. Now Trip can talk. And uh, but I, I mean, I, and I know I haven't even asked you the number of all Americans that you you've coached. I'm sure it's probably it's got to be above 25, maybe even a good bit north of that when you when you count men and women. But to have three of us get in a TV, that's got to be. I mean, you ever think about that? Well. The interesting, I, I, it really occurred to me what was going on. I'm, 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 we had a, another young man on the team, uh, Michael Clark, the second. Well, we, he deserves his he deserves his own chapter. Yeah. But you know, Nacho Gervas from Spain, the sweetest guy ever. He he was on that same team. He he wouldn't have been with Duval, but with me and Trip, 
He went to Europe and did TV. So there's four announcers yeah, that you trained. Did, yeah, he did yeah. big time. I think he still he did the yeah, Masters well, for a number of times. Yeah. But, but I got to tell you that that I'm sitting there uh, trying to help Mike out when he first went out, that. <laughs> went, out, went out on tour. And I actually went down and caddied for him. I, a lot of times when I was a little younger, I would go out, and if a player was struggling, I'd get on his bag and kind of figure out what's going on. And I'll never forget we're in Florida uh, playing a uh, like a Nike event or whatever it was back then, and we go back to the room, and I'm we're rooming together. You know, SAG, he didn't – he wasn't going to spend a lot of money. He so, was not. So, uh, But anyway, we're sitting there watching television, and we're watching Duvall – win at Kapalua mm-hmm. and I'm watching you interview him yeah. on 18 and I'm looking at thinking what am I doing I said, here are these two guys in Kapalua and I'm caddying in Miami I mean there's something <laughs> wrong here so um yeah it it uh, but you know again I think that goes back to the fact that I think you know you're, you guys going through tech you had to you had to be pretty bright and uh, I think, you had to figure uh, things out yeah yeah, I think I think it, it it really demanded a lot of your, I think if anything more of your time management and that type thing, and uh, you know, and I think we always really took a lot of pride in the way we um, represented the school, especially in the great looking uniforms that we had. You know uh, what? I'm glad you brought that up <laughs> because um, we we all obviously uh, you know love, love you. I know you since I was 17 years old. Respect you and 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 have a lot of respect for what you've done professionally. The, the example you've set as a as a husband and a dad and 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 so much respect for you. But your ability to pick out uniforms, oh my gosh, it was so bad. We went. You can't make this up. We went to the ACC tournament. We were playing at uh, the Cardinal in Greensboro, North Carolina, Pete Dye Golf Course. Um, st- still there. Has been redone. I understand it's even harder than it was. And um, one morning we're going to the golf course, and everybody on the team is grumpy. <clears throat> and it's not because we're playing bad. It's because the uniforms that we had to wear, and we're wearing. I believe it was uh, Arias, and Ray, Ray Floyd wore Arias well. Uh, Larry Mize, Georgia Tech man, he won the Masters wearing that. You know the purple with the different shades up top and all of that. And it looked good on some people, but it didn't look good on us. And we're wearing really tight pink polyester pants with the tour slits down the side that are really tight, you know, no belt, and a shirt that's like pink up to here and then like white and blue. And we're and we're at a McDonald's <clears throat> standing in line to order some breakfast on the way to playing the ACC championship, and this nice little old lady comes up and says, Oh, look, how nice. It's the Georgia Tech Choir stopping by to have breakfast here at McDonald's with us this morning. She thought, I, we, she thought we were the choir at Georgia Tech. She we, were far, we were far from the choir. but yeah, I can promise you she hadn't heard you sing anything, <laughs> that's for sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, to think, think about it this way. Anything you wore, Chuck, was tight. So don't, yeah, don't make it sound point. like that the that uniforms didn't. But it was fit. tight on everybody. But just think about. It. I mean, years later. I mean, look at Ricky Fowler, and I mean, I, that's 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 uh-huh. that's the look. I mean, we stood out. But you got to understand. Oh, we stood out all right. Yeah, but you got to understand the tech colors were old gold and white. Yeah, that Navy was that Navy? was nasty. That was like mustard and mayonnaise together. So, but no, 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 no. My, and my my first tournament, I won my freshman year at Furman. It was cold. And not not only did the clothes he picked out look bad, the materials were horrible. Right, right now, all the golf shirts are polyester. Back then, it was cotton. Well, a few people were trying to make polyester, and it was thick 
and it was rough, and it, and it didn't didn't have any stretchy stretchy in it. And so the first day at Furman the, of the tournament, it was cold, and and I had well my nipples were erect all day, and swinging that swinging that in that weather, they got like um, blistered because of the shirt that you had me wearing. And the next two rounds, and I don't know if I've ever admitted to this anywhere publicly, I had to wear Band-Aids over both nipples because they were so badly injured from the horrible shirt that you made me wear that first round. I barely won the golf tournament. I had to go to a playoff to win it. If it hadn't been for that shirt and those sore nipples with the Band-Aids, I'd have probably won by six or eight. No, I think it kept you focused. You know, <laughs> it kept, kept your mind away from right. hitting bad golf shots. And you were playing, <laughs> of all people, I don't know whether most people probably remember Chris Patton, who ended up winning the U.S. Amateur from, from Clemson. Hey, He's, Chris. Chris. Chris is a big old boy. Uh-huh. And, and uh, a big. He was bigger. He's not than, anymore. He's skinny now. Oh, uh, really? Well, yeah. he, he was bigger than you were. Oh, that's a lot kinda, bigger. Like, he was like two of me. Yeah. And what was a kid, poor kid from Georgia that's now the, the pro there? Matt Peterson. Matt Peterson. Great, great player. And – he couldn't stand playing with us. Well, I mean, no, he couldn't play. Day. He couldn't play when he played with you guys. He didn't <laughs> shut up the whole time, and he poor exactly. guy was was battling for first team All American. And uh, every time he played with you guys, you couldn't break ninety. Nope. And you kid, Dick Copas, a coach at Georgia, who was a, really a football guy. I, I love Coach Copas, and he'd tell the way it is. He he'd come over there and walk with Matt, and uh, to try to get between us and Matt, we didn't let it. We didn't let that happen. Well, we were relentless, and I, you know. Yeah, that's two, two of you guys that could, did not know how to. I mean, it was it was total banner Chris, Chris all the Patton, time. So. Chris Patton, um, I, he had to be five eight three twenty five, and and the thing I remember is like if you stayed in a hotel with Clemson, he'd walk around at night with nothing. I'm not talking about shoes. And the only thing he had on was Fruit of the Looms, and. You, you know, they're, and they and they get bunched up in the fat roll. So you could be walking down the hallway, and here comes Pat, and boom, boom, boom. He'd have like a case of beer and a pizza walking down the hallway. And he had a standing bet that he would take. He would, <laughs> You can't make this up. He'd take a driver and lift his gut up and put the driver under his gut and, so, and then drop his gut and hold his hands up. So it was like grip, head. And he'd give you three minutes <clears throat> to try and pull it out with his hands up in the air. And the only rule was you couldn't put your foot like up on him, you know, to try and pry it. And I never saw anybody <laughs> pull that driver out from under his gut. And then the next day when you're playing with him, and this is what got Matt Peterson from Georgia all upset, is, is um, we didn't have gold bond powder back in the day. And for big boys, walking 36 holes sometimes in a, in a tournament in a day, you get a little chafing issue, like offensive linemen do and all that. And um, he would go to the grocery store, and he would get uh, cornstarch. And he'd put it not in a Ziploc bag, but he'd put it in a paper bag. And about every six holes, he would completely drop his pants down to his ankles. He'd care where he was standing, and he'd grab that cornstarch out of his Clipson bag that's in that paper bag, and he'd sort of fluff it up so powder's going everywhere and pull his underwear out and throw it <laughs> his underwear. And he did that one time. And this Matt Peters, the nicest guy ever, is, is like trying to breathe. You know, we're on a tight tee, and it's like a, a, a cloud of cornstarch. 
And Chris Patton's like, you want some? And Matt's like, no, I'm good. But it was like that constantly with the two of us. And poor Matt, I don't know I ever broke 80 with us. Well, he he didn't. didn't often. He didn't. Yeah. I don't think he ever did. And then <laughs> do a takeoff on Patton. What he did to me at the Schinkel one year, I had, it was as normal. The, the air conditioner didn't work in the hotel motel there. And I uh, had my door open. And yeah, Patton definitely walks a motel. By, he walks by my room and looks in there. And, and he said, Coach, he said, uh, I don't have enough money to buy a Coke. Did I tell you what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this quarter and I'm going to stick it. You turn your head, I'm going to stick it in my stomach, and I'm going to give you so much time to find it. If you find, if you don't find it, you got to buy me a Coke. And I just went over and got a dollar and handed it to him. I said, "It's worth me to give you a dollar, not to stick my hand in that mess." So <laughs> he was going to slide it. He was yeah. going to slide it in a fat roll. Yeah. <laughs> that quarter probably stayed there for about six or eight years if he ever put it in there. Yeah. It's some interesting characters. <laughs> what man, what a could, mess. He could really play. Uh, well, yeah, U.S. Amateur Champion won a big tournament down in Australia. I believe it was Australian Masters. And uh, just um, what happened was as he moved up levels, he, he uh, his, his body finally, you know, moving that much weight around, he, he just it just got to a point where it didn't work. But I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to go catch up with him. He still lives in Fountain Inn, South Carolina, where he grew up. He's farming up there and he inherited a – Family farm. He found out several years ago that he was diabetic, and uh, I haven't seen him uh, in a little while. But he's he's lost a bunch of weight, and his kid just finished up at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Larry Penley, the coach at Clemson, had his kid there, full ride, I think, from the beginning. I think a kid, young man, had had a really nice career. But we'll definitely get caught up with uh, Chris Patton at some time. We'll catch up with you folks here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with with Puggy Blackman, my coach at Georgia Tech, and. Did uh, nearly 30 years at University of South Carolina. After that, he's going to stick with us. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his background and and, uh, uh, get into some other players that he's coached over the years. Stick with us, folks. Back on balls in the air, Charlie Reimer with uh, Golf Coaches Association of America, Hall of Fame coach, my former coach at Georgia Tech, Puggy Blackman. And uh, balls in the air, folks, that's a golf term. I had a chance to play at uh, Medalist Club down in uh, just north of Jupiter, Florida, Hope Sound, um, a couple days ago. Of course, that's a home course for Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson, a lot of tour players out there. And my buddy that's a member there, I uh, asked him, I said, what time are we playing? He said, ball's in there at 10 o'clock. So that's what time we teed it up, 10 o'clock. So if you're going to play golf with me and we got a 10 o'clock tee time, if you get there at 10.04, we gone. So show up on time. Ball's in the air at whatever time we say. So, Coach, uh, we're here in the golf capital of the world, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And um, I, I, I know over the years you've probably been down here recruiting some players, maybe some for, uh, for some events and that sort of stuff. And we're going to talk to Coach and – aspect here in a second but i'd like to get into your background because you're a long time pga member you grew up in ridgeland south carolina which is down in the hilton head area and uh in fact your brother was a long time sheriff in that county down there which helped me out a few times but i don't don't get into any of those stories but uh (laughs) but tell me about Growing up in Ridgeland, there's not a lot of folks that end up being PGA professionals, that end up being coaches, end up being Hall of Fame coaches, and doing a lot of the things that, that you've been able to do in your career. So let, let, let's dig into that a little bit. Tell, tell the folks about your background. Well, you know, again, grew up, was born in Beaufort and uh, raised in Ridgeland. Uh, my dad was a, was a, a line, lineman for the power company, as, as my grandfather was. So these guys, they worked hard and uh, – 
you know, in our claim to fame down in that area, we started the federal food stamp program in the 60s. So we, we didn't have a lot of money down there, but we didn't know that. And we were in a small town of 2000 and had a little golf course, nine-hole golf course called Sergeant Jasper. And uh, people asked me, well, what kind of grass did you play on? I said, whatever grew in that spot. <laughs> they just mowed it a, down. But, you know, the, the great thing is I've got I've to talk about original just a little bit and the fact that that little nine-hole golf course, uh, we never really had a, a true golf professional. We turned out in the, I think the mid-'80s, they did a, a story about it. And I think in the mid-'80s, that little golf course had turned out nine, uh, 13 golf professionals and nine superintendents out of a, a nine-hole golf course. And, you know, the people that, that helped us along, one of them just passed away, uh, Freddie Nimmer, uh, was one of the last guys of the, the generation. Uh, my father-in-law taught me kind of how to play when I was 12, long before I married his daughter. But, uh, you know, it, you know, in the, in the game of golf, um, we played all sports. But it just turned out that, that golf, uh, I ended up following golf and kept following it. Started out on Fripp Island as an assistant golf pro and, uh, you know, later went back to grad school at Clemson and got a master's in land economics thinking I wanted to do something in development. And then, uh, helped start the American Junior Golf Association and um, actually was asked to coach the Junior World Cup team in Ireland with Billy Andrade and Sam Randolph. And that kind of made up my mind. I, I really liked the idea of working with kids and, and whatever. And the tech job came along. Uh, I was doing the Junior World Cup uh, in Atlanta at the Athletic Club, and they were going to drop golf. It was so bad at tech. And uh, they offered $17,000 a year. And uh, I had to take two other jobs to, to get into college coaching, but I did. And it was, you know, we just, we just loved it. And, and my wife is, we've been married this, this summer, will be 50 years. And uh, we grew up together. We, we met for the first time at three years old in church nursery. And, um, you know, the one thing when we got into coaching, it was as much her decision as mine. And, and we always felt like that, like my daughter said at a young age, I'm always going to have 12 or 13 older brothers. And we always tried to treat our players like we would our normal family. And, and you know, and, and the gratifying thing, people, what, what gratifies you most? Well, I'm going to tell you, it, you know, to, to, to be asked to, to introduce you at, at the state FCA dinner um, in Columbia years ago uh, to see where you've come with, with your spiritual background and your maturity and I, and I got to say that, that, that I didn't moon anybody. No, you know, but I'm going to tell the story, <laughs> um, and I'm going to I'm going to try to use the terminology that I should on the radio. But uh, you did an incredible job. I mean, you had everybody, uh, me included. I had no idea what you were going to say, and I, I looked at my wife and I said, "This is incredible. He's going to get through this." And your last statement was, "People." All I can tell you is I've never seen anything anywhere in the Bible that you can't break wind in an elevator. That's not exactly what I said. That's, yeah, the terminology is <laughs> not the same. And I'm thinking, here we go, here we go with Chuck. But to, but to, you know, and then to hear uh, Stuart Sink do uh, the FCA breakfast at the Masters one year, and um, you know, to to see you guys have had kids, you've been successful. And the thing I love is that you guys have followed your passion. I mean, you followed your passion. You're doing exactly what you should be doing. Um, and I can remember when you were trying to decide about turning pro. I tried to talk you out of turning pro mm -hmm. because I felt like that you that you enjoyed playing the game of golf. You did not enjoy the game of golf playing you. 
And, uh, you know, my comment was, you know, go amateur, get go to work with Uncle Skeet, uh, become the next Jay Siegel back when he was an amateur. And uh, and, I, and I, I truly believe you love the game and it comes out in your – I saw the some of the clips of your new TV show, and I would say, people, you're up for a treat. <laughs> you know, Faraday's going out, and and Charlie Romer's coming in because it's it's going to be an experience to watch. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking forward to the new show, which uh, gets started over on CBS Sports Network in April. Supposed to debut uh, the Monday night after the Masters. So I appreciate your comments on that, and I, I just want to pick up. Uh, you you did in fact. Uh, talk to me about not turning professional and <clears throat> and staying amateur. And, and I thought long and hard about it. And I don't know that I've talked to you about this, but I was raised by my mom and stepdad and, and uh, very fortunate to be raised by both. And we had a lot of fun. And and uh, But it was also about hard work as well. And and uh, my stepdad was a uh, – he was a good baseball player at uh, University of Tennessee. He was a catcher. And uh, I think he was all SEC a couple of times. And his dream had always been to play Major League Baseball. And when I started talking to him about it, and obviously the advice you get from your dad is going to be different than the advice you get from your coach. And he had a very different opinion than you did, you know. And he just said, listen, he said, always my dream to play Major League Baseball. I, he got injured early in his senior year, and, and it was a real painful, like, broken rib type thing. And he kept trying to come back, and he couldn't come back. And it wrecked his whole senior year. And and um, he, he was being scouted at the time, and, it, and that opportunity just went away. And he said, ever since you were a little kid, you know, he raised me from age four up. He said, it's been your dream to play the PGA Tour. He, he said, without being disrespectful to, to, to Puggy, he, he said, you go follow your dream. You know, when it's clear that isn't going to work, then you can look at, at, at trying to get into business and playing amateur golf. So that's why I ended up turning professional in, instead of pursuing that amateur career. But – but, um, you know, that, that's one of the great things about going to school like Georgia Tech and you, you graduate and you, and you played hard while you were there and you studied enough to get a degree. You have a lot of opportunities. And, and uh, mine ultimately led me to what I do today. I don't – people ask me, they say, are you, are you bitter that, that, you know, you only played the tour for three years? And I, I played professional golf maybe seven years. And I'm like, no, I'm not bitter at all. Uh, no, number one, missing 17 straight cuts isn't much fun. And it's a pretty good indicator that maybe you ought to do something else. But I, I, I met so many people. It opened so many doors, and, and it led to opportunity in, in, in this business. And fortunate to have been a broadcaster now, I guess, for about 23, 24 years. And love what I do here at, at telling the world about how, how much it's uh, um, worthwhile coming down to see all the golf we've got here at Myrtle Beach. But I think all of that happens for a reason, you know, and, and you just have to – do the best you can every day and, and take what comes your way and, and move on. And, and uh, so that's, that's what I've been able to do. And that, that's what I want to ask you about moving on. You, you mentioned starting the program at Georgia Tech, but basically from nothing. Um, there was a golf program there, but there really wasn't a golf program there. And, and coming in, you mentioned $17,000, but not only recruiting, coaching the players up, but you, you had to raise all the – the money for the program. And while you were there, you were able to fully endow the um, golf scholarships and, and uh, got a long way towards endowing or maybe got it pulled off where you endow the operating budget as well. And, and you put Georgia Tech golf on the map and got some great players in there. Duvall's at the top of the heap. But, but um, um, after you were around 20 years, I guess, there and, and made the jump to South Carolina – 
So, so talk to me a little bit about, about making that jump and why that appealed to you. Well, I had been in tech really about 13. Sometimes it felt like 20. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I did, again, I had to do, you know, I made a deal with my, my wife. I said, if I get into this, you're going to raise the children. You I'm going to be gone a lot because I'm going to have to work hard. And so we made a deal where I was going to provide whatever we needed financially so she could stay home and raise her children the way that they needed to be raised because I was not going to be there a lot. And, uh, and you know, I did three jobs. I took over uh, kind of a, almost a bankrupt Atlanta junior, uh, but which was a great experience for me because we took a junior program that had been primarily for 100 well-to-do kids in Atlanta. And my, my, my comment to the board at that time was, if I take it over, this is going to become a program for every kid that wants to play. And within three years, we had over 1,200 kids. Um, we started a program called um, – Aries, the Aries program, and it, it really was a lot like the, the current first tee, where mm-hmm. we went in and funded and did clinics, and uh, we scholarshiped those kids that, that once they reached a certain level of, of proficiency, then then they we would scholarship them into our competitive program, and we had the kids playing all summer on a point system, and the top qualifiers would take them to Sandestin for a week, and and which included the kids. If, if any of the inner city kids qualified, we paid their way down, and and we saw a lot. I saw a lot from that. And then, uh, you know, we built the Standard Club. That was a part of the deal. And But to be honest with you, by the time I got to the 13th year, I was burned out. I was yeah. tired. And uh, Atlanta itself, when you're living in Stone Mountain and you're driving in every day to downtown, and during that time, uh, you know, like if we were playing the golf club in Georgia before I would, the 400 was finished – I mean, I spent literally three to four hours a day in a car. Yeah, and, or, or you'd have to come in at four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just, it just I got tired, um, never thought about it. I just basically agreed to a five-year contract with Dr. Rice, who I, I you know, just think the world of, tremendous man. Uh, but, but I love Georgia Tech because it, it was a strange situation. They had not been very good in anything, I mean, literally. And then Homer Rice came in with a vision – built a new building, and, and I had the opportunity to coach with Bobby Krenz and with Bobby Ross, um, and those guys became like my best friend, and I, I went to every basketball game I could. I went to every football game. We did a – I'll never forget, Bobby Ross brought it up not long ago to reception for Homer Rice that, um, you know, they had not won in several years in an ACC football game, and he basically got to the point in time where he didn't know whether they could be successful or not. And he's telling me this at breakfast, and I'm like, holy crap, our coach is not even sure whether we can make it. <laughs> so I, we took the entire athletic program down on Thursday and uh, and for a pep rally, and we talked about being a family. And, and you know, when, when they won that next game, which was, I think, against maybe Maryland, uh, I can't remember, but uh, that we were coming into the locker room, so don't take your clothes off. We're all going to be there, men and women. And the first half, we played terrible played about as bad a football and then the second half something clicked and then the funny thing is with it, and we went down and we did the you know we got down and, and they tore the goal post down and lit a bonfire outside of the athletic building and burned the street light down I'll never forget that and then but within a, I think it was within two years they won the national championship well well my freshman year at Georgia Tech we couldn't beat Furman at football I mean think how bad that is <laughs> hope some of my Furman friends are listening. My senior year, 
we win the national championship in football, split it, split it with Colorado, and we go to the Final Four in basketball. And it was such an incredibly cool time to be there to see all of that happen and all that go together. And 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 you mentioned Bobby Crimmins; he loved the golfers. You know, he'd let us go in and 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 play basketball in the Coliseum, which was so much fun. He'd just come over and ask golf questions. And and um, and 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 I never I never got to know Coach Ross, but I'm telling you what, <clears throat> I, when I got to to the athletic department early in the morning, and you made us work out more than I'd ever wanted to. He was there, and you could see the window on up in the football. The, the lights on the windows up in the football office. And when we went home to or back to the dorm, ten or eleven o'clock at night from the mandatory study halls you made us go to, he was still there. I've never seen anybody put in hours like what Bobby Ross put in. It was unbelievable. But it was it was really a cool time to be at Georgia Tech. No well, doubt about that. I think Homer Rice was a was a genius in that he had everybody eat together. Um, he had a nutrition program. Charlie, did you ever take advantage of that? I don't remember that very anyway, well. Um, but, you know, but we were we ate. I ate with other athletes. I ate with other coaches. And my golfers, y'all ate with Tom Hammond. Now, I, I like golf. eating a lot with the girls' volleyball team. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were, well, the I'd always thing, sit with them for some reason. I'll never forget my, when I first got into coaching, my, my two-year-old daughter came over to visit for the first time. And um, she's going down the elevator with me. And there's a, I think, Two girls were like six three, six four, and then there's a football player that's about six eight or whatever. And she gets off the elevator, and first thing she asked my wife is if, if I still had if I was still going to grow more. You know? <laughs> so anyway, but what a great place that was. And then South Carolina, the opportunity came there, and I'm I'm from South Carolina down, and uh, you know I was just needed a change, and yeah. you know we had a they were building a new golf course, uh, University Club, and. Uh, so just and you know, I mean, when when I was there, we didn't even have our own putting green. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we had we were at the total mercy of, and fortunately, we had the great support of area golf courses in Atlanta. But to have a golf course and that that's our own practice facility, place I could build a teaching center. And the funny thing is, when I left Georgia Tech, uh, you know, Coach Hepler came in behind me saying, "This is why he left." So they built him all that stuff. So yeah. you know, but anyway, twelve million dollar uh, practice facility. But it's it's it, South Carolina was a great experience. I coached the men, and then and then to be honest with you, just kind of got tired of the recruiting. Changed uh, a lot more about parents than it was the players, and uh, a lot more sense of entitlement with the kids. And I, you know, I'm, I guess I'm more of an old schooler. Uh, as you remember, we had a handbook that we went by, and we, you know, we had rules and 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 the way we addressed local pros and uh, no facial hair, I mean, all that kind of stuff. And that's, uh, uh, but anyway, it changed. And I, I fortunate we brought in a new AD that uh, Eric Hyman, that um, we developed a good relationship and he wanted me to kind of take over the reins of both, oversee both programs. I hired Bill McDonald who played. Yeah. Tech, yeah. Uh, and, and, and Bill was my, was my teammate at Georgia tech. Obviously you coached him up and, and um, <clears throat> Bill has continued uh, the trajectory that you established at, at South Carolina. I, South Carolina is now a perennial top ten program on the men's side, and, and I know you're proud of what Bill has done there. And I, I get the sense that, that these last ten years, you you probably, when when I talk to you, it, it's it's you did a lot of work with David while he was at Tech, a lot after he was at Tech when he got to be number of the world. Uh, number one in the world, and you're involved in on his team for a while. And I know you enjoyed that, and you have a great relationship with him. But the last ten years prior to to retiring, 
you you you've spent as much time and maybe got as much enjoyment. My sense is of of anything in your career working with with the with the ladies team at South Carolina. Is that is that true? I mean, you you I, I call you up an hour later. I'm still hearing about all how much fun you're having helping them with their management, their short game, that sort of stuff. I really think that you've enjoyed that as much as anything in your career. Well, probably the toughest thing for me was was when David graduated. Um, David stayed four years, and and I was, you know, very much a part. We became a lot like his surrogate family when he mm-hmm. was there. And we so I spent – David became, uh, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that we were meant to get together and, and – so I think we filled a kind of a void with David, and uh, when he left, you know, you got to understand he, you know, you talk about um, kind of different players. I, you know, on the way over here, I thought about today about you and talking to you about how much you enjoyed playing the game, but the game not playing you. Um, and then you got Stuart Sink, who, who wins a British, but Stuart uh, still not, winning tournaments. Yeah, by the way, he's getting better. In the fall, he, yeah, he's getting better. He's getting better. I think he's. To be honest with you, I think he he's finally realized how good he probably is, and and then you had David coming in, and his whole focus was to be the best player he could be, and that's all he was there for. He said, "Coach, I'm here to become a great player, and you're going to help me do that." And there were not many days that I did not hear from David the ball, as you remember, he he consumed a lot of time, um, and to be a great player, David was is I would say David was. His time at Tech, first two or three years, David was probably 25 as a player and probably 13 socially. I mean, he just had not developed a lot socially. So a lot of the time with David was trying to get David to understand, to respect people. And that went on long after he left Tech and I worked with him. Uh, the times of, 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 of spending you know, time with him on, on, and he did something, like I remember – we did a old-fashioned encounter session one year with Dave, with Bob Rotella when he came in, where we had the team talk about because we had some issues, and most of the comments that were made were about David. And, yeah. And and then when you know David got his turn, it was like, well, I didn't know y'all felt that way, you know, right. blah blah blah. But anyway, so just when David left, when you coach a player that that can become number one in the world, they stimulate you. You got to know what you're talking about. And the years I've followed David or traveled with David, you know, and, and I had to learn a lot about David. And when you were at Tech, I had to learn a lot about you, uh, a lot a lot about Stuart. And, and Stuart, you know, is a great story of, of you know, I mean, he was married through his, uh, after his sophomore year. He came from a family that didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, uh, he came in and, uh, you know, we worked through everything. He became a great player yeah. and uh, is still a great player. But we went through a lot of it. I think with your coaching, you, you, you generally, again, you almost adopt that player. Right. You're, you're coaching so. all, you're coaching the whole person. Yeah. You're not just yeah. coaching yeah. the athletic well, yeah. side of it. And then the thing with David, a lot of people didn't didn't realize. And, and David, David and I were good friends for a long time. We're still friends. We just don't see each other very much. But he, he was dealing with a lot on the personal side that – it started with the, with the loss of, of uh, his brother. I guess David was maybe nine or ten. He had an older brother that went through a really tough battle with uh, bone cancer. And David, uh, their family, they spent, I believe it was Cleveland Clinic up in, in Cleveland, Ohio, spent better part of a summer. And it looked like his uh, brother was going to make it. They got home, and a few months 
months later. Um, and I, I'm going to say David is 9, 10, and brother was 12, 13 when this happened, and brother didn't make it. And, and, and um, you know, that, that caused the family situation to get really, really tough. And I think that made David, you mentioned socially, he didn't develop. I spent a lot of time with him. We always got along great, but he, he became introverted because of what he went through. And, and people, don't, people don't realize that when they see golfers, they think golfers are like, it's like playing a video game. You know, it's 172 yards. That's a three-quarter, seven iron balls a little above your feet. Some go a little bit of left, boom, you program them, they do it. But, but golfers are people, you know, and, and think and feel and hurt and physically and emotionally and mentally. And, and, and you're and, an individual. And that's what, that's what, that's what folks that yeah. follow sports don't understand. Because whoever you're watching, they, they, they're dealing with a lot of the same issues that you're dealing with. And they still have to come out and perform with a camera on them. And, and it's easier some days than is others. Well, I, I totally agree. And I think, uh, you know, again, it, golfers are individuals. You, you have your personality. David had his personality. Stuart had his personality. Michael Clark had his personality. We all had personalities. <laughs> Chan Reeves. Well, I got to tell Michael Clark Chan, story real quick, real quick. Michael Clark, who was rookie of the year on the PGA Tour, won the John Deere Classic, 99 or 2000 thereabouts. Um, his freshman year at Georgia Tech, Mike, Michael's ego was, I mean, it was as big as you'd ever see. Not only in golf, but everything. And we weren't playing very well as a team. <clears throat> Michael's a freshman. And we had a big meeting where you go around the room and everybody gets to, you know, little blah, blah, blah. And he got to Mike and he said, uh, he was I always had a toothpick in his mouth, you know, and he'd lean back and he'd say, well... My goal my freshman year is to be NCAA Player of the Year. And everybody sort of looked around, and I said, uh, we called him SAG. I'm not getting the reasons for that. And I said, SAG, that's a nice goal. I said, but we've already played six tournaments, and don't you think you might ought to focus on getting on the traveling squad before you start thinking about being <laughs> the Player of the Year your freshman year? And he turned red as a beat and wanted to fight. That's the way he was back then. It's probably still a little bit that way. But uh, my, Michael was a beauty. And I know you spent a lot of time with him after school as well, working on his game. And, and with him being a PGA Tour winner, uh, I, I know that had to be a lot of fun for you. Well, again, here's, here's just kind of the way it all works. I mean, Mike, if you remember, he had a, a heart. He, he was very emotional. Yeah. He had a hard time controlling his emotions. He, he expected – perfectionist and 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 Dalton that one year when you were playing behind him and he was playing so good and we got I think on 12 the par five and he's in oh, contention yeah. and he's got all his hometown people following him and yeah like Mr. Shaw Industries and golf course and all that's out yeah he's getting ready to hit a pitch shot and you know your voice carries down that I'm telling right. a good joke to David Toms back <laughs> in the fairway well well, Sag comes off, and he's infuriated because he ends up making bogey where he should have should have made birdie, and he's upset at you because you and didn't I didn't even it. know. Well, and he's so yards he, away. He's so upset that you know he goes up on the next tee, the par three, and 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 he's so upset, and he's carrying it with him. And I told him he walks off, he stomps off, and I said, "Sag, come back," and he keeps walking. And I said, "Sag, come back." Keeps walking. I said, I'm only going to say this one more time. So he comes back, and he's going off, and I've got him in a headlock. Because he's wanting to come out and fight me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've, I've got him in a headlock just trying to calm him down. And, and um, you know, and, that, and I told him. And, and there were a lot of tournaments. I didn't play him because I said, until you learn to control your emotions out there, 
And the funny thing was when 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 he left, uh, I think if, if there had been voodoo, his mom would have probably <laughs> I would have been dead a lot, <laughs> lot sooner. But anyway, but but Sag called me after he was out, and he said, "Can we have lunch?" And I'm thinking, this guy might be coming to kill me, you know, because of his college career. He feels like I inhibited whatever. When he did, he came and said, "You know, coach," he said, "If I'd have just listened to you." Yeah, would you work with me? And that and that's what I did is 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 travel with him, went with him, and then I was with him at John Deere when he won his rookie year, was, and then I was with him at Kapalua the next year. So yeah, um, he, you know. he he's a, he he is a character. He's in the oil industry now, um, down in the uh, I think he's Houston based. I talk to him every now and then, and right right when he turned fifty, he decided to play a couple of events, and he, he actually went and practiced for a few months, went over and played in the Senior British Open, and finished around twenty fifth. So he, he's he's a, a, a heck of a player, and we didn't get along well at all when we were in college. But uh, we ended up being really good friends, traveling together, playing a lot of golf together on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, and actually many tours before that. But in college, we we didn't spend much time together. But right. after that, we got to be very good friends. Well, you know, the interesting thing is uh, just bringing that up too is about Sag and Bill McDonald and Greg McDonald and Wyatt Rollins. There were so many good players that came out of that Dalton area. Yeah, and Dalton, we, Georgia. I mean, there's produced a lot just, of good players out of there. Just recently lost Lowell Fritz, who was the golf professional adult country club that turned out so many of those kids yep. and uh, what a great guy he was so. yeah I, I spent uh, some time with with uh, mr fritz real character too yep. and uh, but that, that's a great part of the world they love their golf in northwest georgia no doubt about that um coach let, let's talk a little bit about you're retired now and and uh you, you still you've made an entire lifetime of trying to help people get better off and on the golf course and, and going out and playing golf every day or walking your Australian Shepherd around or piddling around the house isn't something that appeals to you. You, you still want to help people get better, no matter what level they're at. And, and so talk to me a little bit about what you're doing now in Columbia and, in terms of, of, of helping people play better golf still to this day. Well, one thing that, that just, again, I enjoy, anybody that wants to be good, I just enjoy working with them. I love to see them get better. That's the bottom line. And then I started a venture. It's called Apex Golf Performance. Uh, just happened totally by accident. Uh, it's a rehab center, uh, high-tech rehab center over off of I-20 uh, and Highway 378 in Lexington. And happened to be over there visiting a good friend of mine who's a Ph.D. in biomechanics who has one of the $350,000 motion analysis. And I've been working with that for a number of years, just trying, again, to learn, to continue learning how to make players better, okay, and not look better, not swing better, but play better. And they had a golf simulator, and a surgeon, one of their surgeons was on it, and we tweaked him a little bit and picked up 30 yards. And he goes, how do we do that? How did you do this? And I started thinking about it, and I'm thinking, here I am, now 70, um, and the number of people that love this game that are not playing anymore are stopping because they don't feel like they can physically play anymore. So I'm thinking – Let's bring this all together. I mean, look at South Carolina. Look where you are in Myrtle Beach. they got a lot of people that, that have time and love the game and have the financial means to do it, to play it. So what we started doing about a year ago is bringing people in. We run them through a full uh, uh, TPI fitness screen, uh, a full motion analysis. Then we take them in and we look at their golf swing. And we determine how do we, how do we first of all, let's look at is your body capable of doing, of putting speed 
I mean, we're not talking like finger up the butt sort of thing. No, right? no, 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 no. Nothing invasive or anything no, like no, that. No, okay, the problem yeah. might come later. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but you know what we thought, what I thought we'd see are people that really needed to get stronger or more flexible. And what we're finding is, for the most part, is that the people that are coming in, we're seeing incredible, incredible results on on picking up speed, distance. Uh, whatever, and, and it has nothing to do with their physical condition. It has everything to do with almost the, 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 the way they have perceived the golf swing, and there's been so much information, constant information. Are you, are you very you know, politely talking about bad instruction? No, this causes no I'm, not talk, I'm just talking about instruction in general. Yeah. Is, is, is in itself... If it's a player, it puts them into a, a training mindset where it's only capable of doing one thing at a time, and it, and it makes people look like complete spastics and geeks. So, what we've done is we, we we're looking we look at uh, again how do you use the ground foot pressure? Do you understand what foot pressure is? Do you understand as an athlete how your body needs to work? And then we talk about how do we sync up the golf club and getting the person to swing a natural body motion. Um, and, and, what, and again, all I can tell you is the results we've seen have been incredible. Not and not only full swing, but short game as well. Well, and then the short game is, is kind of a separate thing I've done and, and just stuff I've learned over the years of, of how to make people better with the short game. How do, how do you, bottom line, how do you control the speed of the golf ball as it approaches the hole? That's what's important. So, you know, getting into having worked with Bob Rotella since 1989, having spent a lot of time – Mark Sweeney with Aimpoint, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Mangum uh, over in the North Carolina area. The guys studied the brain and how it relates to putting and short game. And all I want to do is get people to go back and, and take the short game and, and make it totally athletic. Make it, make it picture, you know, get your brain to see what's out there and not get bogged down and, and distracted by technique or fear. Biggest thing I see are people that, that are out there playing not to play badly, rather than going out to really have fun and play great. So, so I love what you're saying there, and and give me for our, for our listeners and and the folks watching maybe one good example, uh, a little digestible bite of, of something that that you're able to do fairly quickly. Because I think I think with you're trying to make some changes or you're trying to help with good instruction, you'd see some results pretty quickly. It isn't anything, well, if you do this every day for six months and you're going to see marginal improvement, it needs to be something they can see pretty quick. So so maybe just give me a, a, a specific example of something that, that is able to help pretty quickly with, with, with getting a short game better. I think relating it to, to, to all the other sports. I relate it a lot to tennis, mm-hmm. you know, tennis ball. I relate it to throwing a baseball. I relate it a lot to throwing a punch. Um, in the fact that, that it's it's a natural athletic motion. So all I want you to do is to 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 again be an athlete. And first of all, if you throw a baseball, you're gonna you're gonna be making a lot of the same, you're gonna be making pressure shifts, which is very important to understand pressure versus weight and center mass is we're looking at pressure shifts and how to get into the right side and to the left side so that we can develop the speed that we need and create the lag of the golf club. And I can do that. I've got a tennis racket with a golf shaft in it. 
mm-hmm. get people to hit tennis balls, you know, at waist high with that tennis racket and feel the weight emotion. shift and well, a yeah. release. Well, yeah, it's a body, it's a total body movement, and and it starts with the ground, and it, it and it's an acceleration that starts with the ground and works up through the body to the club head, and and there's a moment of, of acceleration, then there's a moment that that's done its job, and now it's time for something else. So. Getting it to sync up and getting them to be an athlete, it's almost like giving them permission to go play the game. Quit worrying about And we got way too many balls that, that are on, they're in love with the practice team. When, when, if you think about it, the way I put it is, you know, when people come to me, what is it that you want to do? You want to get better? What does that mean? Well, that means that I want to shoot better. I want to have better scores. Well, just to understand, people, that, that you know, you're only going to hit, the best players are only going to hit th- 13 12, 13, 14 ground, ground, greens around. So why is their stroke average, you know, the tour level is, is 68, 69, and yours is, is 82? Well, we got to develop a short game. And that's kind of what I've learned, what I did with our women on the women's side, is that we would always start out with not the best talent, but we work so hard on scoring game and short game. And what you see is, in my opinion, that true confidence is, is developed on the short game because you can go out and if I go out and practice properly the short game mentally and touch and feel and athletically, if I lay $20 on the ground when I walk out, I'm going to leave with at least 20 to 25 or $30. Mm-hmm. If I go to the driving range and I put the $20 down from a confidence standpoint, I'm, I'll be lucky to get 5 or 10 back. So. It's getting people to understand, you know, and so what you see is that you start seeing from the beginning of the year, and I, I, I know it works because our women's team, we always started out in the fall slowly and got gradually better, but we won six NCAA regional championships in eight years. So we were great at the end of the year. Hmm. And what we saw is the players, their confidence level, the way they carried themselves, and, and we did this with the men when, when Bill McDonald first started. Uh, they were struggling, and we really put them in a in, in a real strong uh, short game focus. Um, they went and won the regional out in Arizona, and one of the kids commented, he said, we can't hit it bad enough to play bad because their short games are so good. And yeah. that's where people that's where people miss the boat and understanding that short game. One thing I love about what Bob Rotel has always said, you can have a swing key. You can't have you can't have technical faults in a short game. So it's got it's got to be there. And, well, and that's why I think I think two most important parts of the game. Number one, short game. Number two, getting the ball in play off the tee where you can yep. find if you can yep. handle if you can handle golf on both ends yep. <clears throat> in the middle, you can figure it out. But if, if 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 I take players and what I'll do a lot of times, I'll take players on a, on a par four to fifty yards, a par five to right off the front of the green, and a par three on the front edge of the green, and say, okay, now score from here. And they will generally the score will not be a whole lot better. Yeah. And I said you just had the ultimate ball striking round, and you still couldn't play better. So what's missing here? Is 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 there something I'm missing here or whatever? So, uh, you know, and I think uh, another area that that that's been good is I work with with quite a few juniors that have come in and uh, haven't recruited and been around it and gone from about every gamut of the game is is the biggest thing I'm seeing is spending a lot of time with the parents, uh, not so much with the kids, but <laughs> parents. with the parents. I'm going to give you parents a tip. If your kid's junior golfer, 
drop them off at the course, pick them up at the course. What happens in the middle? You don't need to be there. <laughs> do not do not be one of these helicopter parents. I've seen it. Oh my well, goodness, it's the worst thing. Chuck. Not only are they not going to be as good a player as you hope they're going to be, you might end up messing up your relationship with your parent. That's how bad it can get sometimes. Well, it's going from helicopter to what I call bush hog. We've gone from hovering to clearing the way mm. so that their kids don't have issues and 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 it's a mistake and. So, but, but that's what I've seen with the kids that I've worked with is, is spending a lot of time with the parents and just watching how much better the kids get and the parents get. And to get the parents, I like to get the kid and the parent as a pupil. Okay, you both are going to work today. Dad, you're going to work on your game while he's working on his game yeah, too. Yeah, keep them occupied, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let him <laughs> critique you the way that you critique him. Right. You know? So, no. anyway. That's a whole different can of worms. Uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Maybe we'll talk about junior golf because I know there's a lot of folks who want to do the right things for their kids. Uh, for our viewers, for our listeners, um, I, I, I know you got a nice sample here, maybe about of an hour of, of just how much passion that, that Coach Puggy Blackman has, those that played for us. You know, we, we love him to death. We appreciate everything you've done to help us and, and everybody in the gang. Um, Coach, even in your retirement, you're still helping folks. Um, how, how can they um, get in touch with you, find out about uh, what you're doing with this Apex Athletics up in Lexington, South Carolina? What's the best way to find out more about well, Apex Athletics. You could go if you go if you Google Apex Golf Performance uh, South Carolina, you'll you'll get the web page, and this is still a work in progress. You're, you're, I'm dealing with uh, basically a hospital-owned group, um, so we're still trying to get this thing where it needs to be. But I think it has tremendous merit, and um, I want to see this thing grow. I'd love to see this happening. What we're doing there, I'd like to see it in Myrtle Beach. I'd like to see it. You know, in Bluffton, I'd like to see where what we're doing is we just get people to understand where they are, how much time do you have, and realistically, how do we enjoy the game? And and you know, certainly we set some goals, but it's not going to be to play the PGA Tour. Yeah. Um, but if anybody would like to, to contact me, uh, it's very simple. It's my my email address is puggy p u g g y b is in boy golf at Gmail, and I'll answer questions. I get a lot of um, a lot of emails. I've got a lot of people on, on Facebook that I correspond with, and uh, the biggest thing, again, is the, the passion of, of, you know, really wanting to see people get better. And uh, it, it, that's the beauty of being at 70, where I don't have to do it for a living. Um, <laughs> it's a whole lot more fun because I can say, if you know what? If you don't like what I'm telling you, <laughs> you know where the door is. Uh, Anyway, but it's been great. I, I, I'm again. I want to just say that how much it's always a joy to get with you, Chuck, and uh, and follow. But I, I do want to say that, that uh, we all out punted our coverage for certain. Um, and I got to tell, say that that you're you're fortunate, and where you are <laughs> is largely dependent on a beautiful woman. Uh, and I got to tell her, uh, Carol. Um, who y'all met, if you remember correctly, I think it was probably right after your junior year at Tech. Maybe. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, and, and 30 year see, anniversary see, coming up yeah, right here so, in five so months. Let me tell you, see, I had this this vision. What I saw is that here we got this young stud, David Duvall, coming in as a freshman. And if you remember, I roomed you two guys together. Yeah, you did. And then you fell in love with Carol. Mm -hmm. 
And when you fell in love, you fell in love. Fell. <laughs> and, and I, and, I was and, all in. And Still Duvall, am. And Duvall would come in to my room to watch TV, and I'd say, what's going on? He goes, it's sickening, Coach. He said, Charlie's <laughs> under the sheet saying, I love you, baby. I love you, baby. <laughs> so, anyway, uh-huh. it, it worked out well. Yeah. I'm sorry y'all had to go through all that, but uh, that was the way it was going to come down no matter what you said about yeah, it. But, hey. uh, nope, Carol's, uh, she's an RN now, and she's probably off helping some people right now get some COVID-19 vaccine. So uh, Very special uh, lady. Like yeah. We all yeah. Too. They call her St. Carol because she's put up with me all these years. And so, But, Coach, really appreciate your time. Uh, he is Puggy Blackman. That's not Piggy. Blinkman, which a lot of people think he is. Puggy Blackman, Golf Coaches Association of America Hall of Fame coach. Uh, he was my coach at Georgia Tech, still my coach today. And, uh, Coach, thank you for joining us right here on Balls in the Air. And, folks, if you're interested in uh, finding out more about what's going on here at Myrtle Beach, booking a trip to come down and play golf in this area, you can find all that information at playgolfmyrtlebeach.com. Please make sure you tell your friends about us. Tell them about uh, – Balls in the air, and uh, ask them to uh, subscribe wherever they find podcasts. And we appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll uh, be back right here with a brand new episode next week. Thank you very much. 